Thank you and welcome this morning. Good morning and welcome to this morning's service. It's a great time to get together. I want to uh, again welcome you if you're here for the first time. Welcome to ANCF's online Sunday morning services. Uh, it's an opportunity for us to share with you a little bit from God's word to encourage you, uh, to help you. And we also always want to encourage you to stay in touch and ask any questions that you might have about the service or about the, the message that you hear uh, this morning. Accountability is a, is a very interesting word. When we talk about being accountable, we talk about who we're being accountable for, and people live in a sense of accountability for different, uh, for different reasons and for different people. You know, sometimes we, we want to be uh, accountable to uh, other people because you know, we think to ourselves, um, you know, if, if they can keep us accountable, that's, that's a good thing and, and we can do things that are, that are right. And, and that's not a, that, that is a good thing. That's not a bad thing. But there is someone that is much, much greater than, than people around us. And people around us are important uh, to keep us accountable, but God himself. And we can, see our, we can set our hearts to be accountable to God. That is the greatest form of accountability because he is everywhere we are. He is watching everything that we're doing. He knows all that we're thinking and saying and, and what we're contemplating in our hearts. His accountability is far, far more um, um, like it's able to go far deeper than what anyone else could ever do. And I think when we realise that we are accountable to God and, and we, we come knowing that we, we, we love our God and we want to please our God, then that is the, the strongest form of accountability. So I want to encourage you, even during this time of lockdown, it's probably a time where we're most tempted or we can be very tempted to become unaccountable. Uh, we, you know, we, we hide behind Zoom. We, we don't maybe make uh, much contact. We don't need to interact with people after church. Uh, no one's going to really know how I'm feeling or what I'm thinking or what I'm experiencing. So it's sort of, it's easy to hide behind these sort of Zoom sessions that we have. But I want to challenge you to, to get, to step out of that and think, well, you know what, if you're not in a good place, if you're not in a place that you should be, your greatest accountability is the Lord himself and that you want to get that right when you get that right with the Lord. And, and, and that could, that, that will mean coming before God and, and uh, telling God as it is. And it might mean also reaching out to those around us in the church that we can be by your side and praying for you. So let's, uh, let's keep up this theme of accountability. I want to share with you this morning I would have to say, since I've been a Christian, um, one of my favourite passages, uh, a passage that always seems to, like most times I read it, seems to have this ability to motivate and inspire and encourage me, uh, challenge me, confront me even. Uh, it's one of those passages, and I think if you've been a Christian long enough, you would know that there are some, you know, we love all of Scripture. It's just amazing. But there's sometimes these certain passages that you open up or you turn to that kind of resonate with you that little bit differently or kind of speak to your heart in some, some extra meaningful way, so to speak. And I want to share that, one of those passages that, that has meant that for me. Uh, and that's Romans, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It's a famous scripture. I mean, I reckon if I just said that now, most of you would say, oh, Romans 12, verses 1 to 2. I know what that one is. But I want to, I want to just share just briefly with you this morning some really important truths around this, this passage. Um, and I just want us to rem I want us to remember that God's call, God's call in our life is all, is everything. God's call is everything. God's call isn't a half call. It's not a quarter call. You know, God doesn't say it's like you know, like a football team. God doesn't say you know, just as long as you play one quarter really, really well, then we've got it all worked out. No, no, it's everything. It's 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 all of your life 
um, and it's every part of your life. This is the call of God. God's call is all. And so I want to encourage you this morning to realize that this is who we're most accountable to, is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Romans Bible says Paul is writing to those in Rome and he's saying to the Christians, I beseech you, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And then he says in verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How's that for a passage? How's that for God speaking to his church and reminding them of the great accountability of what they're expected to do as Christians who've come to faith? You know, I believe it's a very dangerous thing. It's a very dangerous experience to live life without God. If you're living life without God this morning, meaning you're not putting your complete trust and your faith in the living God, you're, not, you're kind of just um, um, resisting him and all that he has to say. If you're living without God this morning, it's a very, very dangerous experience. Because at any moment, if life ends for you, your judgment is eternal. It's, it's, it's not going to be a good place. It's hell. It's, it's away from God. And so this is a very risky place. But I believe also that if you're living with God, if you're, if you're supposedly choosing to live with God and you want to do things your way, then it's also a very dangerous place. You've got to ask yourself very honestly, if I'm a Christian, if I call myself a Christian, am I living, am I choosing to live God's way or am I honestly still choosing my ways? It's a very, very dangerous life to live. It's like if you're setting up on a journey and you've got a destination in mind and you get in your car and you don't know kind of where you're going. So in order to get you there, you put your GPS on, you, put your, you log in your details, you log on where you're going and you set on the journey on this destination to get to somewhere and you're going to be guided by this GPS. And so you need to listen to the instructions, turn left here, go straight there, go right here. And, you, and these are the instructions. But every time the GPS tells you turn right here, you think, oh, no, 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 I know better. I know these roads. I'll turn left here. Or when you get to the roundabout and the, and, the, and the GPS says, take the second exit, you think, no, 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 I'll take the third exit. And you keep going like this on your journey. At the end of the day, it's going to be disastrous. It's going to be disastrous because at the end of the day, if you don't get to your destination or if you get to your destination um, in a, in a, in much longer than you actually ever intended to get there, are you going to blame the GPS? Are you going to say, oh, curse be the GPS? Oh, this GPS is hopeless? This GPS is faulty. I'm going to take it back. No, you can't blame the GPS. You have chosen to reject the voice that's telling you where to go. At the end of the day, you have yourself to blame. It told you to go straight. You turn left. It told you to go right. You decided to go a different way. At the end of the day, you chose your way. At the end of the day, if you do not get to your destination, you've got no one else to blame but yourself. You cannot complain but God in his goodness doesn't want that for us as so he makes clear to us a path a way to help us and to encourage us it's like um buying a one of those I don't know if you've ever bought one of those flat flat pack 
uh, furniture kits, you know, like from Ikea or some other place. And it comes in a flat box and you've got to put it together. You know, if you choose to open up that box and to not follow instructions and to put pieces together that you think go together or to screw screws in, even though they're not going in well, you're kind of forcing them in. You know, if you're, and you think, oh no, mate, I should go here because it kind of looks well. And you're sort of forcing those screws to go in and not allowing them to go in naturally as they're designed to go in. Then at the end of the day, when you're finished creating your cupboard or whatever you're creating, and it doesn't look like what it's meant to look like, you can't complain. Or it doesn't work like it's meant to work, you can't complain. It doesn't function. You can't do, you can't say, oh, this, this hopeless flat packs, I, I don't believe in flat packs. No, you chose to do it your way. You chose to ignore very clearly what was told and to force your own way into the situation and to insist that this is better. Well, sometimes what you've got to realize, you've got to hum we've got to humble ourselves to realize that at the end of the day, we don't know better than God. We don't know better than God. And even that that's a hard pill to swallow sometimes because our pride makes us think that we've got enough life experience to know better. At the end of the day, we don't know better than God. And God has, is calling us. God is calling us to a place that we would present ourselves a living sacrifice. Beloved, faith equals surrender. When you have faith, you surrender. And God brings us to this faith out of the goodness of his heart that leads us to repentance. You know, the Bible says in Isaiah, in the prophet uh, years ago, the Bible says something fascinating. God reasoned with his people. He said, come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Can you imagine God saying, I want to reason with you. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red as crimson, they shall be white as wool. In other words, I will take what you have damaged because of sin. I, have I will take your soul that you have marred and scarred because of sin. And I want to cleanse you. I want to wash you. I want to restore you. So come, let us reason together. Don't run away from me. This is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. But beloved, let me explain something to you. Only God can say, come, let us reason together. Only God has the right to say that because he's God. We cannot say to God, God, come, let us reason together. We can't say that to God. That's not our right to say to God. We can't say, God, I want to reason with you because, yeah, these things, I like them. These things, you've gone too far. No, we don't have the right to say, come, let us reason together. God, in his mercy, only has the right to say, come, let us reason together. And when we do, we find ourselves in a place of rest. Oh, it's going to come at a cost. And there's going to be accountability. But it's a place in knowing him and knowing that we are in the best place that we could ever be. So the Bible says, so in this scripture, in these two verses, there is a real challenge to give everything to God, to become a living sacrifice, to understand. And the way he begins is really interesting. He says in verse 1, I beseech you. This is an interesting word. It's like he's begging them. He's urging them. He's appealing to them. It's like me saying to you, brothers and sisters, this morning, I beg you, please listen to the voice of God. I'm begging you. 
And this, is, this heightens for me the seriousness of what he wants to say because he, he wants to draw their attention. He wants them to really listen. If someone who you love, if someone who loves you says to you, I beg you, what are you going to say? I don't care. But when God is saying to his people, I'm begging you, I'm urging you, I'm appealing to you, then for sure you're going to listen. He says, I, therefore, I, if, you, if you neglect this, I don't know what else God, how else God can say it. So God is asking you this morning, I beg you, what else does God have to do? What else, how else does God have to say it? He says, I beg you, therefore. Why does he say even therefore? Because something has just been, something has just been revealed. God has, just, God has just revealed something to them. And this is where there's the problem having chapters in the Bible because sometimes chapters in the Bible take away from, from um, the intention of the writer. But when you look at therefore, Paul has just communicated something to them. And I want you to go back to chapter 11, verse, just look at a couple of two or three verses. Verse 32, he says, For God has committed them all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. See that? God wanted to have mercy on everyone. Verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. So God has shown mercy. God is full of wisdom and knowledge. Oh, the depth of it. And then look at verse 36. It says, for of him and through him and to him are all things to to him to whom be the glory forever amen so god has god has created all things and they're for him so what we see here is this we see mercy we see his wisdom we see his knowledge and we see that he made all things for his sake and then paul says i beg you therefore i beg you therefore just think about that for a moment god has created us shown us mercy and demands everything from us. And now we're called, it says, therefore, by the mercies, by the mercies of God. When we look at our lives and we think, wow, what a past I had. You ever think like that? Look at what I've done. Look at how I've lived before. Look at the things that I've been involved in. Look at the people I've hurt. Look at the, 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 the sin I've dabbled in. And you look at your life and you think, wow, if I just shared with people half my story, they'd be so shocked. Think about it. And then we understand something of the mercy of God. That he's come and because of the goodness of God, he's paid our debt. He's paid for our sin. He has washed the sin away. He has cleansed our souls, though they be as red as crimson, they shall be as white as snow. He's reasoned with us. And now all of a sudden Paul says, by the mercy of God, I therefore beg you by the mercies of God, consider what great thing that he has done for you. He says, now, in light of this, here it really gets kind of meaty. He says, I want you to present. Wow. I want you to present yourself. When I read present yourself, brothers and sisters, and as a Christian, I think to myself, Lord, you want a willing heart. You want a heart that says, 
Here you are, Lord. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. You want a heart that comes and says, Lord, send me. Send me. You want a heart that is willing to come before you, not grumbling as if to say, oh, God's grabbing me by the ear and saying, come to the altar, but a heart that presents itself before the altar of God because it understands how great the mercies of God has been in my life. And he says, I want you to present it. Because you know why, beloved? Because love, love volunteers yourself. Love gives everything to God. When you love God, God doesn't have to twist your arm. God doesn't have to force you to have fellowship. God doesn't have to convince you to read his word. God doesn't have to do these things. When you have love in your heart, you're not pushed like someone's pushing you to go somewhere against your will. When you have love, you run to God because you realize therein is mercy. Therein is the greatest love of all. Therein you'll find all that you need and rest and peace. And so the Bible says, I want you to present yourself, give yourself, volunteer yourself, surrender yourself, because this is what faith is. He says, and I want you to do this as a living sacrifice. Wow. Now that's a really almost seems a contradiction of terms because when we talk about sacrifices in the Bible, in the Old Testament, a sacrifice was brought to God and the sacrifices were killed in order to be um, put on the altar and burnt up as a sweet smelling aroma to God for all sorts of reasons. And what Paul is saying here is I want you to present yourself now, not as a dead sacrifice, but a living sacrifice. It suggests to me that your sacrifice is all the time. It is daily. Like Paul says, I die daily. It's like Jesus who says, if you want to follow me daily, you've got to carry your cross. It's not a choice of when you do it. It's not a choice if you do it. It's not a choice that you do it on Sundays or Wednesdays or Thursdays. It is daily. It's not only when things are going well, but when things are difficult. It's not only when people are treating you well, but when people are treating you in a difficult way. You carry the cross. You die daily. So Jesus lives through you. This is presenting your bodies a living sacrifice. I beg you, brothers and sisters, I beg you, why do you run from the goodness of God when all that is before you is mercy like you can't find anywhere else? But you present your bodies a living sacrifice. If you're not prepared to die daily for the things of God, then you're not prepared to be a Christian. It's simple. Don't complicate it. Don't change it. Don't reason with God and say, God, let us reason together. No, God reasons with you. Is it going to come at a cost? Absolutely. Is it going to be painful sometimes? Absolutely. Is it going to, uh, sometimes you're going to be doing things that you don't want to do against your nature? A hundred percent that's going to happen. But this is the cost of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ said, hey, consider when you build a tower, you don't say to yourself, you know, you need to make sure you have enough to build this tower because if you get halfway through and you don't finish the tower, they're all going to mock you and laugh at you. So you need to know to consider this cost. If you want to be a Christian, if you want to know the mercies of God, if you want to know the, the, the power of God, the security of God, then you need to present your bodies a living sacrifice. This is really interesting because when sacrifices were given in the Old Testament, they had to give of the best. You couldn't have someone get up and say, oh, I've got to give a sacrifice to God. You know, oh, but those sheep over there, oh, man, I've invested so much of my time into those sheep. I love those sheep. You know, they're just, they're, they're, like, they're like my faves. 
you know, you know, you can't think like that because this is not what God. So, so therefore, I'll give you, I'll give God the those ones there because they're they're a bit lame. They 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 got some things wrong with them. They they're spotted or their legs are not working. No, that's not God. God says you need to give the best unspotted lamb. You need to give the thing that is pure, that is right before God. Don't give me the leftovers. Don't give me the things that don't cost you anything. Don't give me Christianity that's convenient. Give me Christianity that costs you because your life is going to cost you everything for Christ. If you gave Christian, if you made God, a, if you made Christianity a convenient Christianity, you have twisted the words of God and you have placed yourself on a path that could quite possibly lead you to hell. But Christianity isn't like this. Christianity is a place of rest in Christ, in the man or the woman who surrenders all to the God who has shown great mercy to them. You know, in the Old Testament, it says this in Malachi. When God was challenging them, he was challenging them because they were bringing sacrifices that weren't good. And it was like saying to them, what are you doing? I made it clear what sacrifices I expected. I, accept, I expected sacrifices that were good and whole animals. But they were twisting it. They become relaxed. I'll give half my heart. I'll give half my life. I'll, I'll do things my way when it's convenient. I can't give that because I've invested in that. I can't give up that because that's a cost a lot for me. Oh, that's sin. Oh, man, if I, if I don't have that sin, what have, I, what have I got to live for? And he says this to them in Malachi. You offer defiled food on my altar, Malachi 1. But you say, in what way have we defiled you? You know, this kind of spiritual ignorance. You offer defiled food, but you say, how have we defiled you? By saying the table of the Lord is contemptible or like despised. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, yeah, they're bringing animals that were blind. You know, the, 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 the leftovers, the, the bit that isn't going to cost them anything. The blind animals. Or he goes, when you bring the blind as a sacrifice, he says, is it not evil? Can't you see that this is evil? When God is asking you for everything, your whole heart, your willing heart, God is asking you to give everything to God, the best of you, all your hearts. Because when he has all your heart, he has everything. He goes, but isn't this evil? And when you offer, he says, when you offer the lame and the sick, they had got to a point where they offered lame and sick animals. Like, like slapping God in the face. Is it not evil? He goes, and then he says this to them. He goes, okay, let's think, let's think humanly. Humanly, he says, he says, Offer it then to your governor. Go, go, go give it to your leader. Go, go test, go, take your blind and lame animal and go give it to your governor. Would he be pleased? Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? Go, go give it to him. Let him see what he says. And yet you're not prepared to give it to your governor, but you would gladly give it to me. Every part of you, every day of, the, of your life, 
is a day that you are accountable to the Lord. Not because you're being pushed to go, because you willingly offer, present your bodies a living sacrifice because of the mercies of God. Sacrifices were interesting again because even in Psalms, David, the psalmist, reminds us of something unique about sacrifices and God even goes as far as saying this. So the psalmist says, for you do not desire sacrifice. (laughs) There you go. It's like the psalmist saying, well, you don't really even want sacrifice, God, because there's something deeper than that. There's something more significant than that. There's something that the New Testament Christian understands that perhaps the Old Testament Christian believer didn't. He says, you don't even want sacrifice or else I'll give it to you. You don't even delight in burnt offering because the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and crushed heart, contrite heart. These, oh God, you will not despise. Do you get that? What God is looking for is a broken spirit, a broken and crushed heart. You think, oh, that sounds strange because why would God have us be crushed and broken? No, listen carefully. When you are crushed and you are broken, you come to a place of utter dependency upon the Lord. You can say with full confidence, Lord, I cannot. And without you, God, I am lost. Without you, God, I'm I'm done. Without you, God, this sin, it's going to eat me and kill me. But when I come before the Lord and say, Lord, I have nothing in me left. I am crushed and broken. Then the Lord's hand reaches out and says, come, my child, let me lift you up. But as long as you bring a bit of you to the altar, it is not right. As long as you bring a bit of what you can do, your goodness before the Lord, as long as you bring these things before the Lord, you fail to understand the sacrifice. Bring you and all to the Lord. And God says, these are the sacrifices that I love. He says, I want you to present your bodies a living sacrifice, not a Christianity that's convenient, but a Christianity that costs. It brings you to a place of the mercy of God. Some of you would be familiar with David Livingston, who was a Scottish missionary to um, the heart of Africa for over 30 years. He he suffered a lot and he really laboured to spread the gospel um, as a missionary. And he once said this. I I want you to listen to what he once said. He said, people talk of the sacrifice I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Can that be called a sacrifice, he says, which is simply paid back as a small part of a great debt owing to our God, which we can never repay? It is emphatically no sacrifice, he says. Say, rather, it is a privilege. Now listen to this. Anxiety, sickness, suffering or danger. Now, he says, and then with a foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this life may make us pause and cause 
the spirit to waver and the soul to sink. But let this only be for a moment. Did you get that? Let it only be for a moment. All these are nothing when compared with the glory which shall hereafter be revealed in us and for us. I never made a sacrifice, he says. Of this we ought not to talk when we remember the great sacrifice he made who left his father's throne on high to give himself for us. Praise the Lord. Though he was rich, he became poor to make many rich. The Lord Jesus Christ. I think David uh, Livingston sums it up beautifully. The apostle says, I want you to bring, I beg you, I urge you, present your bodies, give them voluntarily. Don't be taken by the ear as a living sacrifice today, today. Be accountable to God and give up. Give up your sin. He says, holy, because this is God. Yeah, doesn't the Bible say, be holy as I am holy, says the Lord? Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. When I think of this reasonable service, I think, well, you know what? In light of everything we've heard, this is, this is rational. It's logical. What other service would God demand? What other, what other service would God expect? When you know love, and you love him, what other service are you expecting to see? It's like when someone has a job description and they say, and then someone asks them to do something outside their job description, they say, oh, I'm not doing that. It's not in my job description. Hang on. If the person asking you, you love them, and they say, you know what? I know it's not there, but you know, yeah, I'll do it. Because you love them and they love you. There's, there's an element of, Love that goes beyond the written letter. You know, oh, God said to do that. Okay, let me, let me look through and let me see. I, I need to make sure God, hang on a second. Is the spirit, the spirit of Christ? Yes, for sure. I'm not saying don't go and confirm it. Absolutely. The word of God is our truth to confirm. But the spirit of us is, Lord, what do you want me to do, Lord? Speak, Lord. I want to listen. I want to do. I'm a living sacrifice. I give all. That's my reasonable service. You know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, it says you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's, because you were bought at a price. God purchased you. Therefore, go and glorify God in your body. And then verse 2, don't be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world, because this world is, is full of everything that is not Christ. This world can reveal or rear its ugly head as to be anti-Christ, full of selfishness, full of pride. And, I, and we're not those sorts of people. You know, when I was a, a kid at school, I think it was early high school, I loved one of my favourite subjects. My fa- one of my favourite subjects was art when we did clay. I loved it. 
I, I still get excited. We're doing clay today. It's fantastic. And you get your tools out, you get the clay, you used to mold the clay and you, you, you become creative and you try and do things with it and you get the tools to peel the clay and you'd love the, and I love the feel of clay. I love the feel that was flexible, that was pliable. It molded the way you wanted, you wanted it to be molded. And this is, this is where, this is where the, the Bible tells us and warns us don't be conformed to this world don't be like molded like like um uh, like a clay when my kids were little they used to watch uh i don't know if you some of you would be familiar with the show pingu and, and it was this clay clay animation it was it was clay uh, molded in order to create a story that's going to be your life if you let this world mold you that's going to become your story. That's going to become your story. Oh, what are you? What's your story? Oh, you're a picture of the world. You're a story of the world. Unless you let the word of God mold you and you become the story of Christ. See, beloved, we're not a people of, we're, sorry, so we're a people of compassion. So we, we're molded to compassion. Don't be conformed to this world. We're a people of compassion. So we don't manipulate others for self-gain. Did you get that? We're a people of self-control. So we don't just go and fulfill every desire when it comes into our mind. We're a people of confidence, but not a people of pride and arrogance. We're a people of forgiveness, but not a people of bitterness and holding grudges and making others feel bad because of something they've done. We're a people of contentment and trust, not a people who complain and nag and whinge. I wish, I wish, oh, why don't you? I wish you haven't done this. I wish. We're not like that. We're a people of responsibility. So we're not quick to blame other people. When something goes wrong, we don't think, quick, quick, who am I going to blame? Hang on. Have I played a role in this problem? We're a people of conscience. We don't go living our lives hoping and only living them for the approval of other people. Because if you dabble in these ways, if you dabble in these ways, it's going to come back to bite you and hurt you and even potentially destroy you. Occasionally when we used to have, uh, when I'd sit, I'd, I'd sense a mouse in the house, I'd set up a mouse trap because, you know, we had to. Not that I love it. I didn't like doing it, but we did it. But you know what fascinating me about this experience? That I don't know if these mice today are smarter than the mouse, the mice of the past, but I'd set up these mouse traps and put, you know, some really nice cheese in the fridge even or something else that, you know, look up Google, you put something else on the mouse trap because you want, you know, you want to entice the mouse. And then I get up in the morning and the food is gone and the trap is not triggered. Thinking, what is it, a Goliath or something? Like, what's this mouse that actually has the ability to, to take the food and not trigger the trap? Like, can you imagine the mouse crawling away saying to itself, ha ha, I got him. Smart, huh? Smart. I, I got the food and I got away with it. Imagine this, this, this false sense of confidence. So what does the mouse do the next night? 
And I know there was experiences where I, I'm pretty sure, if I remember correctly, two or three nights, the same thing happened. I'm thinking, what is going on? You start to doubt yourself. Am I, am I setting, up, setting up the trap well? But, but could you imagine if you could humanize the mouse? Could you imagine the mouse thinking to itself, yeah, I've got him, I know his tricks, I'm, I'm taking what I want and I'm safe. But he's dabbling, he's playing, he's playing with fire. And maybe once, twice, three times he gets away with it. But yes, as you can know the end of the story, eventually there comes a time where it kills him. And beloved, there is no difference to the spiritual truths of God. Don't dabble. Don't play. Surrender. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed, yet changed, changed by the renewing of your mind. You know how important it is to take care of this mind? You know how important it is to allow only those things, to entertain those things, to meditate on those things of truth that the Spirit of God can use to transform our minds? It's so important that if we want to become unlike this world and more like Christ, that we would think on and meditate on and contemplate on and reflect on things of truth rather than the garbage that the world sends our way. If all you, if you find yourself entertaining the garbage of the movies and the social media and the Google and Google and you, and you, and you find this is your source of life, then that's going to be your story. You're going to dabble and you're going to hurt yourself. But take care of your mind. And when you're on movies or social media or Google or whatever you're doing, guard your mind and allow the truths of God to dictate your mind. So don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And when you do that, what happens? And I'll finish with this. You prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Hallelujah. How many people say, I just want to do the will of God? I understand that because God's will is good. It's perfect. It's acceptable. How many people say, I just want to do God's will. I want to do God's will. Well, there you have it. I beg you, by the mercies of God, present voluntarily your lives a living sacrifice. Don't be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind and you will see in your life the good and perfect and acceptable will of God. They will see and you will see the life of Christ. Praise God. Let me pray for us this morning as we come before the Lord and seek his will. Father in heaven, we thank you, God. We thank you for your word to us this morning. We thank you that you're not a God of, of hate, but you're a God who loves us and calls us to give you all. We thank you, Lord God, that you are that your truths speak into our lives and your truths transform us. And I pray for my brothers and sisters, I pray for all of us, Lord, that we can trust you and put our complete life into your hands. Father, may you continue to bless your word throughout this day and throughout the week ahead. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.